So, uh, this is the time. How many people in here have been to ComNet before? Quite a lot of you. So you know what we do right now. So we're about to have what I think we call, I believe the, the technical term is a teachable moment. Uh, if you happen to have, and I know you guys, what you guys do for loving your communicators, like Chris, right now you're in your phone. If you have looked at your phone, we've scooped ourselves. Right now is the time where I typically tell you where we are going for the conference next year. But, because technology is cool, we had auto-scheduled it. Because we are like, well, I'll be up here at 11.15, and I'll tell you, and then we'll send it at 11.20, and it'll be seamless and beautiful. So if you look in your phone, you know what I'm about to say. Next year, <laughs> the communications network will gather all of you beautiful people. I hope every one of you will be with us. Does everybody want to come join us? We're going to... This is where I usually do this fun song and dance where I say, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to show you, but apparently I've already shown you. So, gentlemen, if you would, let's show them where we're headed. comnet18.org website right now and sign up for next year. And if you're among the first 200 people to do so, you get a pretty fancy price. We are headed to the uh, Weston St. Francis right on Union Square. So the reason we picked that really cool trolley, excuse me, cable car, uh, you're going to get a poster so you can bring it back and hang it up on your office. You have something to look forward to. Uh, But doesn't that look nice? Wow. Anyway, if you go there right now, first 200 of you are going to get a nice discount. What is that? All right. Well, anyway, if you go there for a little while, you'll see a nice overhead drone shot of beautiful San Francisco. We will be there October 10th through the 12th. Uh, One thing I can note about those dates is that for our friends who celebrate Yom Kippur, uh, I am sorry that that we have scheduled on a very, very special and holy day. It's certainly special my family celebrates. Uh, So easy fast for all of you. Grateful you all are here. we have a wonderful closing to the conference. Sandy's going to come up here and introduce these folks, but I can just tell you, just to warm them up, uh, I was on the phone with Franklin and Daphne the other day, and in the span of about 40 seconds, Franklin took us from Leonardo da Vinci and Jean-Michel Basquiat to Kendrick Lamar. So I'm down. This is going to be pretty damn cool. Uh, Enjoy. Sandy, if you don't mind too terribly, come on up and introduce these beautiful people. Oh, oh, sorry. Amy Vitter. I'm re- Amy Witter. I'm hoping you're in this room. She came all the way from London. We have your phone. And we've been emailing you, but frankly, I don't think that's going to work because we have your phone. So if you know Amy or you are Amy, your phone is right out there. All right, Sandy, all you. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to see you here. I'm Sandy Smith, Director of Communications with the California Wellness Foundation. Um, Yay! I just want to say that one of the things that um, I want you all to know is that we have two offices, 
One is in San Francisco, that's where I'm based, and we have an office that was in Woodland Hills until Monday. And as of Monday, it is in downtown Los Angeles, across from the public library, and just six miles from LACMA, where our guest speaker used to work. Um, we've been talking a lot about meaning and words and what do words mean, and I just want to point out that I've been reflecting on the fact that even though words may have a meaning, that when you look it up in the dictionary, they don't really mean as much until we talk about what those words mean. Meaning is made as we work together to make the meaning. And we have today a speaker who um, is redefining what a museum means. I had a chance to go last night to see this incredible space, the Perez Art Museum, and it truly, um, it is a huge building, beautiful building that can survive a hurricane five um, winds. And when people's electricity went out here in Miami, um, Franklin opened the doors of the museum so that people who didn't have electricity could come in. And it was almost like a museum arc. Right? It is a space where um, there are, the community is welcome. It is, the museum is a town square, a space for interactions, a bridge between young people and police. They have a, they've invited in young people to um, talk to police, to deal with trauma, to, to have art be a space for creation and bridge building. Um, Frank is considered, I learned, a rock star in the art world, yet he's down to earth. He's making a place where contemporary art is relevant and creating a space for contemporary issues. Um, without further ado, I want to bring Daphne Muse, who is Communication Director with the Walton Family Foundation, and Franklin Sermons to the stage. Franklin, hey, thank Daphne. you for being here with us tonight, or tonight, this afternoon. Sorry. These rooms uh, make us feel like we're at night. It does feel like it's, it's like a casino. Time. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so just, you know, first um, to Sean and the ComNet team and the board, this conference seems to get better, I think, every single year, and I'm not sure how you are going to top this year, but San Francisco, I think, is an excellent start, so great. So a bit more about you. Born in Queens, raised kind of upstate. Um, your undergraduate degree is in art history and English. And you've been at the Prez for? Almost two years. Almost two years. Yeah. Came from LACMA, uh, stints in Houston and New Orleans. Also known as a rock star. And, <laughs> and someone who is really taking the pretense out of art and accessing art. Um, so I have to say, when I first discussed this opportunity with Sean, you know, I was thrilled because, one, you are another example of someone with an English degree who has managed to have a productive career, so. <laughs> it it <laughs> Way took to a go. moment. <laughs> Way to go. It's inspiring. I, too, have an English degree. Um, but second, the foundation that I work for, the Walton Family Foundation, um, in addition to investments in K-12 education and conservation, we've really seen just the transformative power of art on a community and with individuals. And so we've had the incredible fortune to work with Alice Walton, who is just a pioneering philanthropist. Um, and it's her vision that's really guided our efforts to expand access to art. And it's not just the physical access, it's the education, it's the interpretation. 
Um, and so the anchor for this, and you have experienced this place yeah. as well, is Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. And when you and I first talked, I shared this experience that I had had with both our leadership team and my comms team. And I want to just uh, recap that a little bit. But we spent about 90 minutes as a team with three works of art. And that was the lead-in to a strategy session with flip charts and post-it notes. And what we found as we went through this experience, um, one piece we sat and we kept moving our position. We were sitting on little stools and we kept moving around. And it showed us how when we look at things from a different point of view, it changes our perspective. Um, we spent some more time trying to figure out what this little old man holding a bag was thinking about. And we came up with all sorts of things. We said, he's an alcoholic, he's you know, just got a bad medical diagnosis. And the answer was that we didn't know. And we were projecting our own experiences and fears on this piece of art. But the last piece, and we have a slide here, and I love this. Um, this is about 50 pounds of green cellophane wrapped candy. Uh, it is Felix Gonzalez Torres, it's an untitled work. And so as you can see, we literally dug in to this piece. And we, we felt it, we dug, we tasted, and then we sat and we wrote um, what we were thinking and we wrote a poem as well. And this is, this is some of our communications team uh, involved here. And then we moved to a planning meeting and I think everyone, our minds were just opened. It was, it was such an amazing feeling and really had a productive strategy session. But when I did this with our leadership team, the person who took the most away from it was our head accountant, our finance guy. Um, and he's probably the one that was scratching his head the most at the beginning of this experience. And so it really speaks to me as to how, you know, we can all, we all have the capacity to appreciate and be inspired by art. And I think that's what we're gonna talk about today and just some of the conversations that art drives. Mm -hmm. um, you started your career also in finance. Yeah. <laughs> tell well, us, tell well, us about that transition. Okay, What's, there's so many good strands to pick up on. I just first can't get the image out of my head, so shout out to Felix Gonzalez-Torez, who's no longer with us, but of course lived here in Miami. A big part of, of our art history uh, is in his work. Um, I also just want to say thank you to Sean and to the Communications Network and Sandy, and, and, and a big thank you to... Um, my uh, colleague, Christina Boomer-Vasquez, who's on the host committee and is our director of marketing and public engagement, and also Andrew, Andrew Sherry, who's representing the Knight Foundation and who's also a great partner of ours. Um, so it's awesome to be here and, and good to be with you, Daphne, and in this conversation. Um, so many uh, different like, points of, of departure that you mentioned. Uh, where should we begin? On uh, the last part? Uh, so tell us about, and you shared this with Sean and yeah. I, kind of how you made the decision um, to, to move into a career in the arts. Well, a career, right? My, my father left when I said there was a career. Um, I, 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 Mine did, too, when I majored right? in English. Yeah. I mean, I worked in finance because I came home from college in 1991 from Wesleyan University, and I had a little brother, right? And I had a stepmother. And the little brother was about nine months old, so it wasn't going to work to stay at home. So I, I got a job at Shearson Lehman American Express and, and, and got an apartment relatively fast. The idea of, of working in the space of museums for me came later. And, and I think in many ways, you know, I was probably thinking about our English degree and I was thinking about 
the art history aspect of what I also studied as being, you know, this template for, for writing. And communications would be an easy way or a relatively um, available avenue to, to write and to, to have a, a gig or something that would allow you to continue to do that. And so I, I guess it was really about recognizing the fact that in the early 1990s, to be a, a writer in New York City and to pay rent in New York City was relatively tough. And so the idea of having a day job, if you will, was, was um, something that had to be considered. And the museum was really that kind of backdrop. I was writing reviews for Publishers Weekly. I was writing reviews for like every single Brooklyn rag you could possibly think of that was kind of considered like new or somehow related to hip hop. Um, these things, in a way, consolidated around a magazine like Vibe, but there were many things that led to, to that. Um, so for me, it was just, it was, it was a necessity. And the museum provided a way to keep thinking about writing and to even do writing while having the kind of backdrop that also took into consideration images. And to me, it's just always been about how do we put images together with text, which is something that we all do in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all, um, in communications, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, and fortunately, you know, you can't always get a thousand words in a tweet no. or a blog post or something like that. So, no, but so it's certainly this, this mashup that you described. Yeah, relevant. but writing in, the, in, the, in that time period was like I was writing reviews for uh, Time Out in New York, and I remember when it went from 500 to 350 to 250. And all of this coincided with new technology, yeah. and obviously we had to figure out a way to, to morph along with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so this morning, Sean interviewed Michelle Norris, and they talked about um, the race card project that she has launched, um, and you know, really talked about a lot of the tough conversations that are going on in our country right now. And I mean, the museum, it's actually in your mission to facilitate, I have to read this, facilitate catalytic engagement with the most progressive visual arts of our time. Um, but you, you are facilitating these tough conversations. Can you, can you tell us how you're doing that and how art serves as a launch pad? Well, I think one of the reasons why um, I was attracted to art history in the first place was the fact that there's this space, there's a space to make considerations of time, of place, of our world that can be on the probing side, that can be on the uncomfortable side, that can be on the tough side, that it's a space for us to talk about things that we might not be comfortable with and that artists are the ones that first and foremost are taking us to that place. And so, you know, in a way it was like, I guess a lot of the curatorial aspect in particular was about wanting to be around artists and wanting to be around people who thought that they could change the world mm -hmm. and change the world with simply their hands, you know, what they're doing in the studio. You made a reference to, uh, in one of the pieces, to this idea of basically take something, do something to it do something else to it, which is Jasper Johns's famous sort of refrain. And I think that idea, um, if we take it and we apply it to many different arenas of life, that it allows us to see things differently. It allows us to see the other side. It allows us to have perhaps a degree of empathy that we might not be able to have without the art object in front of us or without the image in front of us. Mm -hmm. Obviously, right now, words don't always do what we want them to do. Right. And there's a, a current exhibit um, of 
Cuban artwork and talk to us about um, the, the lead-in to, to that exhibit and, and some of the tensions that you dealt with and how, your, how that has provoked conversation. Well, things have changed since we spoke. I will say that what we try to do is, you know, you, you, you mentioned some of it is that to be a museum in the 21st century, it, it just, it seems to me that the idea of just going to the museum to look at something on the wall and having this sort of rarefied conversation around connoisseurship is only but one very small aspect of what I find to be interesting in the museum space. So what we've tried to do and what, what we discuss, and I think we, actually I say we because it's not just us, we have a movement of people, not just in this country, but around the world that see uh, visual art and see museums as arenas for discussion and arenas for things to happen and places for people to be in dialogue and, and to be inspired um, in ways that, that they're not able to do in other spaces, right? Here in Miami, I think you guys probably experience it somewhat during this week, right? It's, it's not the kind of place where you end up on a subway or, or a bus, for that matter, sitting across from a bunch of people that don't look like you and, and, and just being in that environment together. We need our civic commons, and I think this is a perfect place for us to have a real 21st century museum that thinks in a way that is more progressive than the past. Mm -hmm. So what we've tried to do, and you can see it in, in our beautiful building, is that we've tried to create spaces where people feel comfortable to come regardless of what's on the walls. Um, we sit right on, on Biscayne Bay on the other side of the water from here. We have an environment that I think is very much conducive to people sitting down and being together. And we've tried to make that the forefront of what we do. Mm -hmm. And we do that with, with exhibitions and we do that with programs. And that is always the starting point. The art is the starting point, but it's about getting somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the Cuban art exhibition. And I think we have a photo of that. Okay, so this is a part of, of an exhibition that's on view right now, um, and, and it's a group exhibition. It's the kind of show that obviously has to happen here. I should say that, you know, you showed a piece by Felix Gonzalez Torres. I mean, this is a guy who, who came from Cuba and was in Miami. This is a story. This is the story of this place, and we've been a part of it for a long time. When the museum opened in the new building, 2013, we opened with an exhibition of the artist Ai Weiwei, Chinese. We opened with an artist, a British artist named Hugh Locke, and we opened with an artist named Amelia Pelias, a Cuban artist who whose work is really couched in modernism. But it's about that sort of contextualization is what we're always trying to do. So this exhibition is on view now. Mm -hmm. It comes from the collection of George Perez, uh, a local collector and someone with a, um, an appetite for collecting that is just infectious and nonstop and with a passion for art and ideas that goes beyond um, most of what we can imagine. And so we have this ability to show hundreds of works over the course of the next year in three different iterations. It's, a, it's an incredible show. I, just, I, I, I highly recommend people to come and see it. But there's one little caveat that, that I have to mention within the context of Miami. We have artists in the exhibition who have lived on the island of Cuba. Mm -hmm. and, and that does not, you cannot do that here as easily as, as you would like. So it's a little bit, controver a little bit controversial. Mm -hmm. um, we show artists from the Cuban diaspora at all times, 
But that aspect is, is something that is challenging in today's environment. And it goes everywhere. It, you know, we, we can talk about, you allude to other things that are happening now. Minneapolis. Sam Durant, a, a wonderful artist who lives in Los Angeles, makes work that comes from guillotines, that comes from a history of architecture around hangings, right? And one of these happens to pertain to a massacre that happened in Minneapolis. So when Sam showed this piece in Germany 10 years ago, nobody said a word. The piece goes on view in Minneapolis. It's a different context. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what we have. And, and it's, it makes it uh, really exciting and really invigorating, and sometimes it makes it tough. But we want to have these kind of hard conversations. And I really believe that you know, that's what, what our artists are for. Mm -hmm. And that's what we would like to, to be a bridge to, to, to get behind. Absolutely. Well, you talked about you know, being the museum of the 21st century. Um, and I think you, you told the New York Times um, that, that the Perez is going to be a focal point for that conversation. Obviously, you are. But tell us, you know, what, what are the works of art, the contemporary art of today that will inform future generations uh, about this moment in time in our country, in our world. Yeah, I, I think in part thinking about, you know, thinking back um, and how we relate to that idea of being a uh, progressive institution mm -hmm. in the 21st century is that we're here in Miami and we have the opportunity to think about how we might look different than other museums across mm -hmm. our country. Um, we automatically, we live in a city where, you know, more than half the population speaks Spanish, at least. Um, we are in a place where something like 70% of the people actually were born somewhere else. So in many ways, we have the perfect ingredients to look like a museum or look like a place that is different from other places in this country, and I think indicative of where we are going. Um, one way that we've been, I think, effective and played a role in that change is that we're a museum of international contemporary art. There are many others like us around the world. But what we choose to do and what we want to do is we want to be the best at presenting the work of Latin America and the Caribbean. And that's where we are. And, and you know, that's the, the trajectory that we're working with. And we happen to have a lot of great artists that come out of that tradition. So, so you say, what is the, the, the great art um, that we might think about hundreds of years later? I like to believe, and I do believe, that, that Felix Gonzalez Torres's imprint is going to be felt for a very, very long time. That piece you referred to, a highly conceptual piece, right? You pack it up, you put it away, pieces of candy. Okay. It comes with instructions about how you are actually supposed to put it down as a form or as a composition, yep. right? But we, 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 we get to do that, and we get to do that in different times and in different places. Recently, we had up a, a small pile of, of Felix's, and it was actually on view another place in the country. So there's this idea that a work of art, unlike the, the masterpiece of the late, see, even 20th century at this point, mm -hmm. does not necessarily have to be this idea of a, a unique piece that only exists for one person to have for $200 million, right? It, it can be something that has a, a multivalent structure that allows for different people to experience it in different places at a single given time. And it can be about, I think with Felix, it's about a level of generosity that is just 
if we need it. Like we need mm -hmm. it now and we need it in the future. And that's what that piece um, sums up for me in many ways, because you're allowed to actually take it away. Yeah. How many pieces of, of great masterpieces of art are you allowed to actually take with you? Yeah, and dig. Um, in fact, we were talking with the, the museum staff afterward and we said, you know, because they have to replenish the, yes. the candy. Yes. <laughs> People are eating it, you have Small to refill fee. it. I said, so what, you know, what did you actually buy here? And it's, it's largely the idea. Yeah. So the idea is the art, yeah. which is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Um, when, when we talked earlier, kind of go back to, to what art of today is going to tell future generations. Um, you brought up Beyonce and a number oh, yeah. of number of uh, musicians. Just talk to us a little bit about what, what you're seeing in music and how that is perhaps even more on the forefront than visual arts. I think, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why we, we actually talk about wanting to have a conversation around the museum that is perhaps a little bit more future oriented is because we recognize the fact of, of our past and our history. And so music, to segue, is, is, has been more of a lingua franca, right? It's been more of a, a, a vehicle for discussion or a vehicle for um, talking about issues that has been for more people uh, in the past. And I think that's something that we're hooking into. And in the museum space, we do that with an interesting um, concentration, if you will, on film and video art. And seeing that as a space in which we can be a lot more effective than, say, uh, a painting. Um, I think that I think that Beyonce. I mean, I, yeah, we mentioned that, but I mean, the images from that video, which was created by an artist, mm -hmm. uh, is is something that is 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 indelible. Is something that should have a life uh, that continues on. So I think I was saying it in that context. Um, I also feel like. Uh, there is a discussion that has happened in music over the course of the last year that presages much of, of the mm -hmm. things that we're talking about on a daily basis politically. If I think about Solange's album, if I think about Kendrick Lamar's album, if you think about Jay-Z's album, there, there are a lot of people that are addressing issues that are at the forefront of our daily lives, and um, that's what our you know, best artists do. And that was kind of your, one of your earliest entries with, yeah. um, with your, your thesis and... So part of part of wanting more. to move the conversation somewhat forward, while you know, I, while, while loving twentieth-century art, while loving nineteenth-century art, but part of the conversation and the desire to move it forward and to have a discussion that could be a little bit more relevant, relevant mm -hmm. in our time and place, has been to pick up on ideas that come from a more mass or more popular culture. So, mm -hmm. yes, the first real exhibition I did in institutional space was called um, One Planet Under a Groove, Contemporary Art and Hip Hop. And it was an exhibition that sought to look at how this phenomenon played out in the hands of artists. And hundreds of artists around the world were working with it as, as material and as ideas for their artwork. Uh, another exhibition uh, has concentrated on the relationship to sport and contemporary art. And then, you know, plug. In, in April of this year, we'll have an exhibition up called The World's Game, Contemporary Art and Football. Like, how do we talk about, well, obviously sport has become more of a metaphor recently, yeah. but how do we talk about these things um, in, a, in a broader sense? And I think that's one way that we bring in a lot more people to the museum 
Uh, we've also done it with ideas around spirituality, an exhibition called Neo Hoodoo, Art for a Forgotten Faith, which sought to look at spirituality as, as material or as subject for contemporary visual artists. And, and obviously dealing with a lot of um, issues that could be part of our present um, conversation. So that's been one way to try and move that conversation forward. Fantastic. Checking the time. Okay, we're good. Uh, tell us a little bit about just as you know, as a nation, as we become so much more diverse. How how are you seeing that um, in the artist of today? And what story? Well, I think. Well, also we th we talked a little bit about um, institutional context, and mm -hmm. so with both of us being involved to some degree with that. Um, there, there has been a, a changing, there has been a diversifying, at least in some ways, of what has been the traditional makeup of our nation's museums. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's being propelled by the Mellon Foundation, it's being propelled by the Ford Foundation, the Knight Foundation, being pro propelled by the Walton Family Foundation. Um, there's a conversation that uh, sees the value, the obvious value, and, and corporations talk about this all the time, the, the obvious value in diversity and what it means to um, be a, a organization that has a level of diversity in, in terms of every aspect, not mm -hmm. just race, but gender, uh, sexuality. Um, th these things are, are, are part and parcel of what I believe helps make us a more whole uh, experience as far as it goes in terms of, of representing our country or even representing uh, international ideas. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know most of us in this room work for a nonprofit of, of some sort and there's, we certainly have plenty of space to, to grow um, in diversifying our leadership, but what have been yeah. some of the barriers uh, in, in the museum world and in diversifying leadership in museums? I mean, you know, we, we refer to a past, right? If we, if we only think about the fact that if you go to any one of our great cities' museums and you look at the work of, say, the beginning of the 20th century, the people who produce that work tend to look the same and they tend to be of the same gender. So maybe it's only a natural progression from there that most of the people that brought that work into the museum might look a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's the kind of thing that's changing. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the, I think it goes hand in hand together. Um, if, if you have artists who are speaking to the here and now of this moment, I think you need people who also can see that moment along with them. And uh, I think that's beginning to sync up a little bit. It's certainly happening. I mean, for us, it, it, it's happening in a big way simply because of where we are. And, and, and so it's been something that we've been recognized for in that conversation. Um, just this week, we, we brought in our first uh, Ford Fellow, and he's, it's, a, it's a position that the Ford Foundation got behind with us because they want to do exactly what you're talking about. They're looking to diversify the field because they believe that there's value in having other voices. And while I make that equation to the art, it really doesn't have anything to do with who relates to what in the present. You know, you can be talking about European art of the 16th century. I think that there's value in diversifying the curatorial or the directors who are looking at that work in the present. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're getting behind and that's what we're doing. So we just brought in our first Ford Fellow. Um, happy to do that, it's a two year term. 
and uh, allows for us to have uh, more or less defined around a person of color and to bring in somebody who's going to look at our collection and talk about some of the ideas uh, that go into our art collection and how we might talk about that in the future. So shifting to, you know, hyper-local now in recent events, um, and it was mentioned in the introduction, you, you were able to open your doors quickly after, after the storm and provide electricity and much-needed air conditioning. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a picture of families oh, yeah. uh, enjoying the museum um, as well as the amenities that you were able to offer. Tell us, tell us about that process and, and the decision-making. Well, it, it just it goes it goes back to like what are you you know as a museum, who are you there for, and and we're there for our community, and I think that that means, you know, not just not just putting together exhibitions, but doing what we can to be a part of a civic conversation. We feel that we have a stance that is valuable in our conversation, mm -hmm. you know, just like um, other arenas of thought, corporations. Um, other nonprofits, schools, um, sports teams have different ideas that all can contribute to the conversation. And one way that we can contribute is we, we have this incredible building. We want, we, we're inviting people into that building. Um, also, we have an incredible team. I mean, Christina is, was, you know, that probably happened before I even thought about it, to be okay. perfectly honest. Um, and, and it's kind of an ethos for our entire organization. If we can help within our community, then we want to. So last night, people could come in free if you brought supplies to send to um, people who have been affected by the hurricanes, uh, particularly in the Caribbean. And that's the kind of thing that, that is at the core of our mission. As much as we want to reflect you know, the world around us through the exhibitions and programs, mm -hmm. we also have an absolute duty to Miami and to our local community. Um, we were, you know, as an organization, we go back to 1984. And when the organization started, we started in a small space in government center, right? We were considered to be part of a group of buildings that provided a, a civic structure, right? So you had lawmakers next door, um, that kind of thing. And, and we, we take that strongly when we believe that we're part of a, a much bigger conversation than the international art conversation, okay. especially here. Um, so that was, it, it's a natural thing. If we can open up a few days after that when people are dealing with a lot of really tough things mm -hmm. and provide a space to, to, to think differently maybe for a moment or to get out of that space, to provide a space that will allow for some other kind of thought, then that's what we're there for. So it happened Sorry. relatively easily. Yeah. Well, congratulations to your team and you. um, great team with a great leader. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so going back, uh, just talking about, you know, we're, we're largely communicators in this room, and so you can certainly make the connection with creativity and communications. But um, something that, that really stands out to me, and it, you know, again, goes back to, to your earliest experiences in, in a different discipline, I, I was struck by a quote that uh, Alice had shared with us oh, yeah. um, from a book, uh, The Art Spirit, written in 1923. Robert, I'm told it's Henry. I, I am pronouncing it right, <laughs> aren't I? Okay. Um, and he just described, you know, people with the art spirit, um, they're inventive, searching, daring, they disturb, upset, enlighten, and open better ways for understanding. So 
you know, again, going back to, to how we can all access art um, in all fields, obviously communications, but what about business, engineering, medicine? Yeah, uh, I, I think a, another core aspect of, of being that kind of forward-thinking institution is that, um, is that education in, in a broad sense, is that our mm -hmm. you know, core value? Um, we are there to provide arts-based learning, and we do that in a place like most where um, public school system doesn't do that as much as they once might have. So we are there to do that. Um, we've had something almost 200,000 students come in from the Miami-Dade public school system since we opened in, in December of 2013. So it's a core part of what we do, and we do that with our educators, we do that with um, bringing in students, and we also do that by bringing art to different communities uh, through, throughout our county. Uh, so it's, it's a completely integral way of thinking and of thinking about what the museum uh, can be. When we had talked, you mentioned you know, problem solving. Yes, um, yes. Um, <laughs> I think that we're not trying to, we're not trying to necessarily create artists. We're just trying to provide a, um, another sort of system for education, another way for people to think. And I think that's the, the, the best part is that if you just take those core kind of things that we were talking about, about looking at something from different sides, it helps you build a better product. Mm -hmm. It helps you think about other people and how they might receive your product that idea of empathy or that idea of putting yourself in another person's shoes. It just makes for better, I think, better thinking. I mean, just it's an opinion, but I, I believe that if people are exposed to art and to the idea of being able to see things from different angles, from different sides, that, they, that it can be applied in many different ways, um, no matter what vocation one goes on to take, that engagement with art as a part of the education process um, allows for us to, to, to create better, something better. Yeah. Well, I want to be sure we save time for questions, and I believe there are some folks with handheld mics out there somewhere. I can't see. Um, so if you have a question, raise your hand, and we'll try to get the folks with the mics over to you, and if you would... Uh, say your name, your organization, and uh, speak very directly into the microphone. I see we've got one question right up here. He's on his way. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Edith, and I work for UNICEF. And you are in a city, and in a museum that receives people from all over the world. From all over the world, right? And may, may, many from Latin America, but from everywhere. And I want to take you a little bit in a different angle and ask you about leadership, and your leadership in particular. In that, you talked a lot about artists and featuring them and diversity and the meaningful, but I want to ask you about diversity in leadership. And I want to ask you, how do you see your role as a leader in this field and as a person of color, and how do you, can you help you know, provide 
I guess by example, you know, the open the doors for this idea that this is possible and that there can be more people in leadership roles in the arts world who are people of color. Yeah. Uh, I think, so I, um, I, I, I thank you for the question. I have thought about how we can be effective and partners um, in terms of exactly what you're saying. And so one way has been, you know, this idea of since we are a place for education, we are a place for scholarship, and traditionally curatorial um, ranks within the museum, the curators have been a sort of pipeline, if you will, to um, directors. And that's, that's my experience. Um, so what I've tried to do is uh, be a integral and vocal part of a growing community um, of people uh, around the world who are in discussion with each other and supporting each other. And so, you know, I, I, it's not just the Ford Fellow that we have. Um, we also have an uh, intern program for high school students right here in Miami. And so we're trying to be, we're trying to be effective partners in thinking in a forward way about our partnership and what we can do as far as that increasing diversity within the, the field and within the sphere. And so that's been the most direct way. To me, that is the most direct way, to be able to bring in people, not just as free interns, but from even the high school level, to be able to give them something that's so that they can afford to come and work with us, because I think that can be a detriment, um, to not only to then take it from the high school level, to take it to the post-undergraduate level. So we have a place there where somebody can come now. And then we're thinking beyond that. And we want to be able to, uh, to keep doing that on a very formal level. And at the same time, like if you, if, you, know, if, if you were to um, think of our institution as a place for that dialogue, then, then, then we're doing our role in that space. About a year and a half ago, we hosted um, one of the very first sort of discussions about this idea of Latinx, about the idea of getting away from the gender-based Latino um, or Latina, but to, to embrace this idea of Latinx. And that happened um, because of another great artist, Teresita Fernandez, who was born here uh, to Cuban parents, but lives in New York, has an international following, wonderful artist, and she's part of this conversation. And we want to be a part of that conversation with her. And so we hosted a, a sort of roundtable discussion a year and a half ago, which then led to a major convening at the Ford Foundation in New York, maybe six months later. Um, we're, we, we want to be a part of that conversation, always. And we have a curatorial team. It's not just you know, from, from my position. But we have a curatorial team that includes four people that, that represent a lot of those ideals. Other questions? Oh, right here. Hi, um, my name is Kareem and I'm from the New York Foundation. Um, and one thing that's been happening recently, I mean, we're a small foundation and we do mostly community organizing and advocacy grant making. Um, and it seems that art and art makers and art organizations are becoming more and more important to advocacy and community, community organizing. Um, so my question is, 
how do we tap into communities of artists and try to use those tools and those people who have that skill to help the organizations we fund do organizing um, and integrate that into other foundations. Tell me the name of the foundation again. The New York Foundation. Uh, um, I think partnership, I mean, this idea of collaboration is something that across our um, nonprofit organizations is something that we at least have tried to be um, progressive partners and try to seek out those sort of partnerships and rely on the expertise of others. We, are, we know what we have, right? We have a great space. We have uh, links to artists, both who, who work for uh, the museum and then also artists who are out there in the community and around the world who have their works in our collection. And we can be a conduit for whenever that idea of, of images comes in to play or the idea of, of art, any space for visuality that you have that you're looking for in, in your conversation, at least we're looking for that. We know we can't do what you do, but we want to do what we can to help you do what you do better, and, and it goes both ways. You make us better, we, we hopefully make you better. Great. I think we have time for one more question. Is there anyone out there? All right. Well, this was a great way to close out a great week, so. Thank you. Thank you, Franklin. Thank you. It's lovely to be with you today. Thank you. Did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? Yeah. All I heard was, and maybe I'm a bit biased, but network, network, network. There's what we do, there's what you do. I'm part of a community, I'm part of a conversation. We want to be part of the discussion. That is what we do, that is what we are. So I am so grateful, this is where I get to thank you for being here, for being part of Miami. I hope you will be with us. You can take this home with you, your own little piece of art. And I guess I want to thank the guys in the back of the room who've done a brilliant job of making this all move seamlessly. Thank you very, very much. If you didn't know this, Shudi and the gang are with us every year, and every year, if this gets better, it's because of them. Tristan and Emma are bored. There are any number of folks that I could thank. Uh, they all have, I hope, they know all of our gratitude. You've been so good and kind to one another. I'm incredibly grateful. Uh, the conversation will not end. Our time together in close proximity, the way Dan talked about, this is about to end. But we have the members community, and we gather throughout the year through webinars and through change agent. And I believe soon, if not now, you'll have gotten your next newsletter where we try to bring us together virtually and talk about what we're seeing and what's going on. So thank you. Adios. I've always said, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have a moral obligation to stand up, speak up, say something, do something. 
get in the way, get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble.